0: This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of the critically acclaimed book, Follow the Boston Celtics, which you can still download for free by logging on to www.clnsradio.com slash Book. Welcome on in to another edition of Celtics Beat being brought to you today by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from and because of your listenership Audible is offering your first audiobook on them by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com/celtics that's audiblepodcast.com/celtics Okay well time to get the offseason started here I guess it can never officially begin until we get our first post-post season show under our belt Here we are for our first of many shows covering the summer of 2015 for the Boston Celtics We will still be here every single week as we always are. And today, Sunday, May 3rd, 2015, I am Larry H. Russell. This is Celtics Beat being brought to you today by Linda and Audible. Free giveaways to our valued listenership lyndacom slash c-l-n-s for a free 10-day trial of online tutorials and claim your first free audiobook with Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash celtics. You do not need to spend a dime. That's right. It's free, all free. And as I always say, if it's free, it's for me. And only if that were the case for free agents for the Boston Celtics this summer, obviously the Celtics, we all expect them to be very, very aggressive, and to do so, they're going to have to spend a little bit of money, unlike you. But even more so than we initially thought, the big report this week is that the team is willing to attach a first-round draft choice for a team to take Gerald Wallace off their books. That, in turn, would mean that the Celtics could pursue not one, but two max-level free agents, a clear sign of their aggressiveness. We'll get into that and, of course, look back on the season that was with Jay King, the great Celtics beat writer who's done the fans a great service with his industrious work to say the least so much great work over there at Mass Live at Jay King he's coming up in a few minutes but of course I can have my takes too now and a little later in the show but figuring we're going to have so much time over the next few months to talk about the offseason and these free agents and all this Kevin Love stuff now that's coming out I've even thought about skipping it last week's show I still wanted to talk about the postseason even though the Kevin Paul DuPont story came out in the Globe a couple Fridays ago But I do want to get my first few cents in here for some final thoughts of what I felt was one of the most enjoyable Boston Celtics seasons from a fan and likewise a media perspective in a long, long time. I'm talking going back four or five years now. I'd say going all the way back to that season where they had Shaquille O'Neal and they were the best team in the NBA up until the infamous Kendrick Perkins trade moments after that trade deadline happened and how well that team was playing at that point. They were the best team in the NBA, pretty much, but it did fall apart from there. But it was actually a really enjoyable season, particularly the first four-fifths of it. But I'd say those last few years were with Doc were a bit of a grind. Even that run to the conference finals in 2012, 90% of that regular season, it was like pulling teeth. Same thing for that following season, and then obviously the first year with Stevens. But this season was very rewarding for fans. And just enjoyable to watch the team play on a night-in and night-out basis, particularly in the second half of the season. Obviously, blue-collar Boston there's always been an akin to scrappy, overachieving teams. And that's who we are as Bostonians and New Englanders identify with. And even people who are Celtics fans outside of this region as well. That's what they've come to pretty much acknowledge, what the Celtics are. And that's certainly what the case was with this team. They weren't the most talented team, but it was incredible just how frequently they were able to conjure up the amount of effort and focus to where they were able to put forth solid efforts night in and night out. I mentioned it with Wick Rosbeck on this show a few weeks ago, how there were really only a handful of games this season where the team just wasn't ready to play and didn't give forth a great effort, which is common for teams in a marathon NBA season. But the Celts, I mean, there were just a few where the effort should be questioned, I count I just count three. Um, you have the Houston game, the second game of the year. Cleveland at the beginning of March. Then, of course, they lost that big home game to Miami at the end of March. Those were the only games where they didn't really seem to come out where they were really ready to play, which is just incredible for that, you know, as long as the NBA season is. I mean, this team rewarded people who paid to see them play or took time out of their days to watch them from their homes or wherever they were. And the brand of basketball, I thought, it was great. I mean, this team moved the ball. There was a lot of life to the offense, if you would like to say it that way. I mean, know this wasn't the 86 Celtics, or this team shouldn't be confused with how the Spurs do their offense. But this was a mature offense, if you want to use a word to describe it. Particularly in the half court, a very mature offense for a young group, which clearly demonstrated the coaching skills and the ability of the staff to get their messages to resonate with these players. It's obviously one thing to say, oh yeah, move the ball on offense. It's thing to actually get the players to do so and have them buy into that sort of scheme. So it was fun to watch this team play, particularly when they started winning, of course. And it was also fun to watch them improve throughout the season in various aspects of the game of basketball, particularly mentally, obviously turning... On the Wayback Machine, you go back to November and early December. Watching this team in the fourth quarter was as excruciating as anything I can remember in the 25 years I've been following this franchise. We obviously knew that it was going to be an issue with a young team, but it was absolutely beyond the realms of imagination. Doing what they were doing in the wee stages of the season. But starting with that failed comeback in Washington when Rondo sat on the bench in mid-December in the double overtime loss... Then that West Coast trip at the end of January, really. Those wins in Portland and Denver, close wins where big shots were necessary from the likes of Evan Turner and Avery Bradley. Those two games and how they won those two games were how the ship really turned around. And I want to get that, get into that with Jay King, where, we, where he sort of saw the turning point of the season. Because if you recall before that Blazers game... The team lost to the Clippers on Martin Luther King Day in the afternoon. Brad Stevens kept the team in Los Angeles for four days because that was a Monday. And that Blazers game wasn't until a Thursday night, I believe. So the team stayed back. And I've always wondered if there was a bonding experience with the guys on the team or something. Because chemistry-wise, they got that win in Portland. They played like a different team with a different purpose, particularly at the end of games from that point forward. So I've always pointed to that point of that season— As to, at least from what I've seen, that's really where the turning point began. I wonder if there was anything to that or if it was just the natural progression of the team. Because obviously by that point, the roster situation with all the trades, not just Jeff Green and Rajon Rondo, of course, but the guys that were coming in and out by the day, it seemed like. I mean, like Austin Rivers, Nate Robinson, Jameer Nelson, Brandon Wright. I mean, it was just getting out of control. There were so many others as well. By then, everything settled down. And the guys that were on the team had a good understanding that they would be here, at least for the rest of the season, and who their teammates were finally going to be as well. And that point forward, the team certainly, or at least seemingly, grew by the day. And all of that progression was what was most encouraging because the two key facets for being a good team, no matter what type of talent level there is on such a team, that's defense and the ability to execute in the most tense moments of games. November, December, none of that was there. Worst defensive team in the conference, I believe, um, on December 1st. And obviously, we all knew how atrocious they were at the end of games. Wasn't the case, certainly at the middle of the season. And then at the end of the season, there was a lot of improvement in that aspect. And that's why they were as bad as they were at the beginning of the season, basically on pace for another 20 to 25 win season. Another year of, oh, well, geez, hopefully they lose these games so they can get a better shot at this guy who may or not have an impact on the franchise, whatever. Thank God we did not have that crap again. We now know this is a team. A franchise certainly on the upswing with some intriguing pieces on the roster, an environment which is fostering improvement from individuals and the group every day, and of course all the flexibility they have in the war chest. And no matter what happens, no matter how much better a Celtics fan thinks this team got better on paper with whatever moves they make this summer, whether they hit a home run, a grand slam if you will hopefully, or maybe just a few singles— No matter what happens this summer, expectations are going to be fairly high next year. Now the 40-win plateau, basically being a 500 team, is going to be expected, let alone if they actually make some key moves and key additions to the roster. Dare we say something like 50, maybe even more than 50 wins, a division title and some postseason success is what could be the expectation. But either way, there is not going to be, oh, they tried hard, but they just came up short in the future. When they get talent, they'll be able to break that door down. No, 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 no No matter what. In the event that even if much of the same team is retarded, Turned next year. Fans are now going to expect some results in one manner or another from next year's edition of the Boston Celtics because of the success of the 2015 Boston Celtics and how rapidly they improved. Fans, coaches, execs, no one ever wants to see a team take a step back during a rebuild. No one. The goal is always some form of progression, and with that rapid improvement this season, the expectations, the bar, It has been set that much higher. I harken back to Rick Pitino's first season in 1998. The Celtics were coming off a 15-win season. A lot of people expected the process for the Celtics to return to glory, to be long, drawn out. And then the team, its first game under its new coach, beat the team of the decade, the Chicago Bulls, on national television. They had a good season. They won 36 games. And that raised the expectations in the immediate future so high that postseason the next year was expected. And while it's a good thing it can be pressure on the players to continue their improvement and create a more fun environment for them in that case, it hurt. Those players were not ready for it, and worse, management tried to adhere to the fans' calls of playoffs and win-win-out-win-win with a lot of moves that backfired and set the franchise back long-term because they were all made for short term results. They handed out some big contracts to some unworthy veterans. They traded lottery picks. Let's not get into that because it's not like I wrote a book on it or anything. I did. Follow the Boston Celtics. Still available for free at clnsradio.com slash LHR book. But what does this season, what kind of impact does it have on the rebuild on this year's trying to get back to where the Celtics need to get to. Does it make the team more aggressive this summer? And is that why they're now willing to do what we thought was an unthinkable as short as, what, two months ago? And that's part with a draft pick just to get rid of a contract. Are the Celtics more aggressive in trying to fill some deficiencies on this roster, be it interior defense, a shooting, whatever you want to talk about, scoring from the wing position? Are they more aggressive in trying to fill some of these warts Right away, as opposed to being more patient and maybe waiting for more advantageous opportunities to arise where they could get better value in a deal. We're going to make that our reached question of the day. Download the reached app in the iTunes store. Or to make it even easier, we'll post a link in our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. Can check it out there and answer the question. We would love to hear from you in terms of what kind of impact, if any, the success of this season will have in the rebuilding of the franchise going forward. Can't wait to hear from you, just like I cannot wait to hear from Mass Lives J. King, who will be joining us on the other side of the break. I'm Larry H. Russell. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Slash CLNS. This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's the Republic. I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in, and we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution, my good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever, be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever, audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Welcome back into the show. We got our guest here, the great Celtics beat reporter from Mass Live, Jay King, here on the line with us. Our interview with Jay is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings, the wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season long commitments, just instant casts, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day, just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans, just like you, have already cashed in at DraftKings, and now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code England to play for free. You could win part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code New England for free entry now at DraftKings.com, DraftKings.com, that's DraftKings.com, and Jay King is here with us. Jay, it's been a long time since we've had you on the show, largely because you have been so busy, of course, covering the team on a day-in and day-out basis and writing as much as you do. I don't think anybody can say they're as industrious as you are, as I said so earlier in the show. Jay, welcome back to Celtics Beat. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Finally can get you back on, obviously. It's been a long season for you, long season for the Celtics, and the season is finally in the books. Some people feared this dear! What if they make to the playoffs and get swept? Well, they made it to the playoffs and they got swept. But honestly, <laughs> is there no other way to describe a season as, other than a, a complete success?
1: Yeah, I think in, in some ways uh, the front office would have liked to miss the playoffs and get a better draft pick and have a chance in the lottery. Uh, but listen, anytime your coach establishes himself as one of the top ten guys in the league, anytime you got a lot of young players who overachieve and really, I mean, top to bottom on their roster, almost everybody is playing some of the best basketball of their careers, then it's been a success. You know, they had four games of experience against LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love in the playoffs. This team grew, Stevens grew, and that can only help. And it can only help internally uh, with their team, and it can only help externally with the way people view the players on their roster and the assets that they have. So, yeah, this is a success. I, I think absolutely this season went far better than anyone anticipated. You know, they they made some good trades. They stocked up more assets, and then they overachieved. So you cannot look down at what they did this season. It was a success in, in just about every way, except, of course, getting a lot of return.
0: Yeah, and it's sort of this season... It was sort of such a long season because there were so many checkpoints at the season. I mean, if you go back to looking at this team in November and December, that seems like three or four years ago. And I discussed this at the beginning of the show as well in terms of when this season sort of turned around. And what I sort of point to, and I pointed to it on past shows, is... They lost to the Clippers on Martin Luther King Day in the afternoon out in Los Angeles. It was another loss, another, you know, one of those, oh, they almost came back and won, and then the Clippers started carrying, and they beat them. Yeah. Then they had four days off. Brad Stevens kept the team back in Los Angeles for four days. And after that, the team seemed to play a little more inspired than they did. They certainly got rid of those woes at the end of games, that's for sure. They won those two games on a back-to-back in Denver and Portland. Was, yep. Am I looking into that too much, or was there possibly a bonding experience there for that team in Los Angeles? Because that was a different team, I thought, after that game.
1: I don't know if there was a bonding experience. Um, but yeah, almost everybody on the team points to that trip as when it started to turn. And I, I believe the next game was in Portland when Evan Turner hits a three at the buzzer, and they beat Portland. And that was their first road, Stevens' first road win against a Western Conference team. And so they had gone into that trip and even some of the guys on the team thought, you know, it might be a disaster. I can remember Brandon Bath talking about that trip and someone asked him a question, like, what do you think is going to happen? And he's like, well, honestly, you know, uh, I don't know. (laughs) He's like, I don't know what's going to happen on that trip. Like, like real ominous. Uh, And then they go three and three on that trip. They start to believe a little bit. They go, come back. And I think another turning point was when they took Jake Crowder out of the starting lineup and turned him into, you know, just a multi-positional threat rather than just a traditional small forward. He really changed things for them. Even before Isaiah Thomas came over, taking Crowder out, going small sometimes, playing Jonas Jarevko at the five or four, just going small shooters, changing that second unit into a powerful offensive lineup. Just changed everything, and and they kind of started to make teams adjust to them, and and, and they started rattling off wins. They won four or five before the All Star break, and then they got Thomas, and then Thomas was a perfect fit. Obviously, he didn't have a great playoff run, um, but you know he was so good during the regular season, and so yeah, I, I'd say it turned in January, and then there were a few other turning points after that, including the Crowder. Um, moving to the bench, and then Thomas, of course, getting picked up at the all-star break.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting, too, that you mentioned that Brandon Bass discussion you guys had in the locker room there uh, regarding that West Coast trip. And I actually have to confess, when the team was going out West, I viewed that West Coast trip the same way as I viewed that West Coast trip that they had last year at the beginning of January. Where it was pretty much just the death knell to the season. And I actually ended up booking Jeff Goodman of ESPN just so we could talk about the draft and what the Celtics going to pick with their lottery pick. And then they won <laughs> those games. And it just sort of it took off from there. And you mentioned Jay Crowder. And I remember talking to Wick Rosbeck, uh, not on last week, or the show two weeks ago, but earlier in the year as well when I did that feature on him. And he specifically pointed to Jay Crowder as the guy who elevated the spirit of the team when he came over. Yeah. You, do you think this team sort of developed an identity with the second unit? I mean, I sort of remember the second unit when they went to the conference finals in 2012. They weren't the best players, but they they sort of developed an identity, and that, that allowed the team to grow chemistry-wise. Is that really what Crowder's sort of true value to the team was?
1: Yeah, I think Crowder absolutely. I I think Crowder was just part of it, though. I, I actually I asked Gerald Wallace about this the other day. He's like the if, if you want the truth, go to Gerald Wallace in the locker room. And so I asked him about Crowder, and he said, you know, yeah, he's a leader. He said, but the thing about it, about him that makes it, that made it special for us is that he didn't stand out. He was just a good fit in a lot of ways. You know, he came in, and he he does a lot of the same things Marcus Smart does, Avery Bradley does, uh, even Jurepko does. So he came in and was just working hard, didn't care who got stabbed. And there were a lot of guys like that. And that was kind of what was special about this team, I thought, is that there was a whole lot of young guys who really haven't established themselves yet but aren't gunning for stats, aren't gunning for individual glory. It was just all about the team. And, And I thought that was really neat because really nobody cared about individual stats. There was nobody averaging, with the exception of Thomas, more than 13 or 14 points a game, you know. There were some nights Tyler Zeller would score ten points in the first quarter and barely play after that or because of matchup problems. And and nobody cared. It was just like whatever. They they really didn't care. And so so I think that was what was special about what Crowder brought to the team is that he fit in with everybody else. And maybe he took it to another level. And I think he did in a lot of ways. He's obviously as tough physical competitive as almost anyone in the NBA um, but but just that that he was such a, a good fit with everybody else on the last
0: yeah and obviously before we maybe shift discussion here to obviously what's going to happen this summer I still would like to maybe get some a few more takeaways on the season and it is sort of interesting how you were sort of describing the Celtics team you were describing the Celtics team as yeah they didn't have the most didn't have the most talent, but it truly was sort of a team that we can identify the Celtics with in so many ways. You were talking about guys like Isaiah Thomas not averaging any more than 13 or 14 points a game, and that's always been what the Celtics throughout their history, even when they've had great teams, have been about. They've never had the leading score for a single season, and this was sort of the team in this way, albeit they had an inf- infinitely less talent. Is that sort of your main takeaway from the season? Do you have sort of maybe one last final thought that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was my main takeaway, and I think Evans deserves a lot of credit for that because th- there were a lot of points in this season that the Celtics could have folded. There were a lot of points in this season where guys could have started gunning for individual glory. And and he never let that happen. And he he kept fighting and, and they kept fighting and then, you know, all of a sudden they scared together those back to back wins in Portland and Denver and they start to believe a little bit. And before you know it, they're winning 24 of their last 36 regular season games. And they're in the playoffs against LeBron James way faster than anyone anticipated. So th- this was just a-, a team you could you could really root for uh, because they were so unselfish. They did play so hard. And-, and they brought it almost every night. I mean, I think they had two
0: double-digit losses. Yeah, they've. Really, the, uh, I discussed the it in the opening, the Jay. TV. It's interesting you brought it up. They really only had three games, in my opinion, where you can look at it and say, you know what, they didn't weren't ready to play. You had that Houston game, the second game of the year. They just came out and just got mashed right away. Cleveland at the beginning yeah. of March, we all remember that. There down by forty, and there was yeah. a home game against Miami uh, when Miami yeah, played like their backups, and they, they just caught them off guard. And that's that's about it, though. I mean, just three games out of eighty-two. I think that's incredible. Yeah,
1: it was unbelievable every night, and it didn't matter whether they got down 25; they were going to make it close. You know, it's, it's it was unbelievable, it was like you could not ever write them off. And it was even the final game; it was like that was it. You know, down 21, nothing's going right; they can't hit a shot all game, and still they find a way to make it to six in the final minute and have a shot to cut it to three. And so that that final game was like. Kind of everything that they stood for. It was a microcosm
0: of the season. There's no doubt about it. It It was
1: like you know we're not as talented as the other team, we're not as good as the other team, but we're gonna we're gonna make damn sure that other team knows we're there, and we're gonna keep fighting no matter what. And so that yeah, that was I thought that was like not a kind of a poetic way to go out, Uh, being the undermanned team fighting from a big deficit and. Falling just short as everyone expected they were, but but still doing it in kind of an inspirational way,
0: I guess. And obviously they didn't go down without a fight in that final game. That was probably the most interesting game of the series by far, and it's actually going to have a ton of implications on the rest of the NBA postseason here. Uh, yeah. We all know Kevin Love. We all know what happened there. Uh, we'll forget about it from the Cleveland perspective because... Who cares about Cleveland, right? We only care about Boston here. I mean, that's where the hub of the universe, and we, we, we live in tunnel vision. So, uh, obviously, Kevin Paul DuPont, of all people, uh, is very esteemed hockey writer. Uh, I dropped a little tidbit in a column a couple of weeks ago on a Friday before that game three, I believe, about love's interest. And everyone kind of was just sort of like, eh, you know, Kevin Paul DuPont. I mean, you know, good great writer, but, you know, it is a, it is a hockey writer after all. But Ward Gnarrowski wrote a column after the game on uh, Sunday evening or Monday morning, whatever the, yeah. those goofy wee hours of the morning he's posting his columns at. Uh, regarding Kevin at the fact that there was some uh, surely mutual interest there, how much of the notion do you buy that, you know, possibly that incident could affect Love in, Love's interest in the Celtics this summer?
1: Well, I, I don't... I mean, if it does, then it's really petty and really bizarre because... Really, there's no way Kelly Linick was trying to hurt him. If if you're trying to hurt somebody, you don't tug on their arm. There's zero chance you tug on someone's arm and think, well, I'm going to pull this guy's arm out of his socket. I I think Kelly Linick could literally try to do that a million times, and it would never, ever happen again, and Love would never be injured again. And it was just kind of a fluke. Um, Do I think he would have interest in Boston? I, I think it would look attractive. I think Brad Stevens has gained a reputation around the NBA already as somebody who gets the most out of players. And obviously, Love feels underutilized, I think, in Cleveland. And, you know, there are so many things he did last year and in the past that are just completely dormant right now. You know, he stands in the corner, he shoots threes, and he's very good at it, and he's helpful to that team because he can do that and still rebound and still help them play big but kind of small at the same time. But, man, he used to be such a threat, and and they've kind of taken some of that away. And he would be a star, absolute star, almost anywhere else but Cleveland. Uh, so I do think it has has to seem attractive, at least in some ways, to leave. Uh, I don't know whether he will. I don't know whether he fully wants to. But, but it has to at least be in the back of his mind. You know, I, I can leave. I can become an absolute stud. Or I can stay and we can win championships or at least try to win championships, and I'll be kind of the third piece forever.
0: Yeah, I think that, that we, what we should watch regarding Love, and I thought he mentioned something like this, or at least it was leaked to some of his people, was regarding how the salary is going to increase after next season, and that would make the max contract go up. I could see him doing some little one-year, two-year deal thing to make sure yeah. he can get some one last payday. I'm I'm still not totally sure that... He's going to uh, hit hit the market really, per se. I think. I also think he could probably give it one more shot in Cleveland. I mean, you only have so many instances where you know you can play with a guy like LeBron James. But I thought yeah. it was very interesting. You were talking about Brad Stevens and the perception that he has amongst opposing players around the league. You see the general media in Boston, they brush it off, and quite frankly, I think it's silly of them because they're not around the team every day like you are. And I've talked to Jared Weiss, who's talked to many players on opposing teams as well. We're not going to name any names, obviously. But could you really maybe go in depth, you don't have to name any names as well, of that interest or intrigue, for lack of a better word, regarding how impressive Stevens is in and around the league?
1: I've I've talked to a lot of people who have covered the team for a long time. I've talked to people who have covered other teams for a long time they say Stevens is praised around the league as much as any coach ever. Uh, you you go around the league, people just bring up his name when you're talking about the Celtics, and they'll be like, that's a really well-coached team. Unsolicited completely. The other day, LeBron did it unsolicited. Stevens, very good coach. That's a really well-coached team. I have a lot of respect for their coaching staff, especially their head coach. Guys are just, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because Stevens is just really, really good, he gets a ton of respect around the league. And the guys saw what they did with that roster this year. It was really like offs, young guys, guys who were underutilized elsewhere, like Crowder, Jerepto. And they went 24-12 and over the last 36 games. And they traded Rondo, they traded Jeff Green, still made the playoffs. And Stevens really, really established himself as a, as a star this year. You know, I, I thought he struggled in some ways in year one, and I think he, he would say the same thing. Um, but year two, he was he was really, really, really good, and and people around the league noticed. And I, it's unbelievable how much people just praise him unsolicited during press conferences, before games, after games, everything. It, it really is unbelievable. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I had that same discussion that you had with Jack McMullen as well. How these people come out unabated. It's not just like, oh, hey, uh, Coach X, what do you think of uh, the Celtics coach, or oh, oh, player B, what do you think of the Celtics? Yeah. Like you said, is they do this on their own, and I think that is going to be a factor in terms of recruiting players because, like you said, I mean, this is legitimately genuine on behalf of players or in and around the league, and the general media can kind of scoff at it as they want and. Now, also, too, let's put a little disclaimer in here as well. Let's say the Celtics do not sign anyone of true significance, and that's going to bring about people saying, oh, gee, see, I told you, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's also like me saying, if Rory McIlroy doesn't win the U.S. Open, he stinks. I mean, you get the field, I get Rory McIlroy. I don't think that's fair. So, odds are, against the Celtics, of course, signing a big-name free agent just on simple math alone. But... There's no question about it there's going to be a factor as well. I talked, obviously, too, with David Aldridge last week. And one thing I did talk about with David Aldridge as well is I didn't think this would be as big of a deal. And that's the legacy of the Boston Celtics. I believe the players, I mean, they genuinely care about it. But I think it's a bigger deal when they get here and they finally understand it from the outside when they can't experience it. They're a little ignorant to it. But when they get here, it's, I think it's completely legitimate. But now, when you have a guy like David Aldridge tell me tell me on the show that it is very important, and then I think you can also sort of factor in other things as well. It's not just obviously playing for the Boston Celtics, 17 championships, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, blah blah blah, and the whole deal. But I remember a, a quote that Ray Allen had about like four, five, six years ago, whenever he was here, saying like you know, listen, I've been in the league for 12 years. I'm mean, an NBA All-Star forever, and it wasn't until I got to the Celtics where I could finally walk into a sports sporting goods store and I could see my jersey. It was like, yay, I mean, you know, people care about me now. And Obviously, there's the East Coast bias <laughs> with television coverage. Don't you think that, too, also just the whole Boston Celtics brand, brand even more so than the legacy, is a top-of-the-line sell point as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I would assume so. You know, they're always in the top ten in jersey sales, no matter what their team is. Is like— uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it does matter the, the the reputation that they've had and all the championships that they won, and not only that, but people care. You know, LeBron comes in and and he says how much it cares. It matters to him to win in Boston. You know, you, you, you they end the playoff game, they lose in a sweep, and they hear "Let's go, Celtics!" chance for with for from people who have stayed for the last game, which looked like it was going to be a blowout. And they're all on their feet screaming for, the, for this team that, that they really kind of fell in love with. Uh, so I, I think that doesn't matter to players. I think more so they want to get paid. They want to have a chance to show off all their talents. And they, they want that opportunity. And I, I think Boston can give that, too. You know, Obviously, they're going to have cap space for the first time in the Danny Ainge tenure. They're, they've got Stevens, who has shown this, really uncanny ability to get the most out of players. And I think that has to be attractive to players, too. And also, there's a stability there in Boston. You know, they, they had Doc Rivers for, I believe it was nine years. Now they've got Stevens. They want him around for a long, long time. They've had Danny Ainge in place forever. The, the ownership is, is very good, very solid. So I think that has to be attractive, too, whereas a lot of places there, there's dysfunction. Um, and Boston really is is a stable, stable environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought you mentioned a lot of other smaller interesting factors, Sue. I think the fans do play a bigger role as well because – I mean, let's, let's be honest. NBA basketball in December, January, and February can be an absolute grind. We know it when we watch TV. I'm sure you know it when you travel to some of these arenas. Like, I don't know we have to name names. I know you don't particularly enjoy going to Detroit on a Monday night in the middle of February and watching a game in front of 7,000 fans. So I can imagine how much the players feel about that, you know, in some just dead, hollow library. And meanwhile, Boston, 41 games a year, even the team is not so great. You're still going to be playing in front of an energetic crowd, and I think that's truly something that actually matters. There are some other issues as well, Boston. I think we all know, obviously, the weather, uh, the nightlife isn't as great, but I mean, I I think people pointing that as just the sole reasons as to why NBA players go to destination X and destination Y I think is very unfair to NBA players, and I mean, I don't want to get into a discussion without it, because it's, it would be pretty controversial in its own right if, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, I didn't know that NBA players were the only players who enjoyed nightlife, yet we seem to, seem to label that <laughs> as well. I think also, too, one thing that we're going to talk about this summer is, this year, the team exceeded expectations tremendously, I mean, let's be, I mean, they won 40 games, you still can't believe that, I mean, this was a team that was on pace for like 24 wins on Super Bowl Sunday, for goodness sake. How do you feel that the team is going to be, how aggressive they'll be this summer? I mean, I thought before it would be more of a case of they might do something that's very advantageous to them, like the Isaiah Thomas trade, something like that, where you could just police another team in a deal. But now it's sort of like, okay, we're a little closer than where we thought we would. Could you see the team being that, saying, okay, now let's go out there this summer and let's identify deficiency here and a deficiency there, and let's try to fill that?
1: Well, see, I'm not sure they feel like they're that close because they do still need to find those two or three stars. And whether it's by trade, free agency, you know, that playoff series showed they're a long way away. As good as they were over the second half of the season, they have a long way to go. Um, I I don't think they're going to be able to get a – Absolute star in free agency this summer. I do think they'll be aggressive in targeting the next tier type of guy, Uh, you know, a younger type of guy who is still growing, who can fit into what they're doing. I'm not sure it'll be, you know, the fireworks they promised. What was that? Last year, a couple of years ago, yeah, it was last uh, year, and it
0: wasn't really a promise. Yeah. It could be fireworks, and of course, the media yeah. took it and spun it. God forbid the media never does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: the the fireworks. I'm not sure those will come, but I I do think they'll definitely improve their roster this summer. Obviously, they have four draft picks. They have a lot of cap space. They have the, they'll have the opportunity. I think, to trade a first-round draft pick to get rid of Jared Wallet and even add more cap space. Um, so I, I think they keep Crowder, whatever they have to pay to keep him, up to, like, I don't know, $8 million or so per year, and then target guys who can help and probably younger guys who are already good but getting better and may, maybe might be undervalued on free agency.
0: Yeah, and I think also, too, we didn't even mention really the uh, trade route the team could take. I think there are some interesting names. That'd be an entire show for an entire different day. And it not like we have like the next three and a half months to talk about it and fantasize it of what, you know, certain players that you want to be here. But obviously, no matter what, too, Jay, I mean, the expectations now are going to be raised significantly for next year. No matter what kind of summer the Celtics yeah. has, I said earlier in the show, they could hit a grand slam or they could hit a couple singles either way. The team, the fans are not going to expect this team to be in the lottery next year, no matter what, under any circumstances whatsoever. And I talked about it at the beginning of the show as well. I remember back to that Rick Pitino season, the very first year he was here. The team won 36 games. They beat the Bulls on opening night. And that was coming off a 15-win season. And everybody thought it would be this long process of rebuilding the Celtics. But I remember talking with Chris Wallace about this from my book, Fall the Boston Celtics, and he was like, you know, it was almost like we got to thirty-six wins too quickly, because then the fans wanted playoffs for, you know, the next season, and then the team started making moves that really hurt the team long term. They were trading lottery picks and everything like that. yeah, I, I don't think the team is going to be doing anything that short sighted. We know Danny Ainge doesn't think like that, unfortunately. But how do you think that these raise expectations next year, no matter what, do you think it could help or hurt this organization?
1: Uh, Um, I don't think the organization really cares one way or the other. I I think, as we said, Danny Ainge is so far from short sighted. That guy, (laughs) he doesn't care about short term right now at all. He wants to see the team do well when it's doing well. Um, or at least he's not completely against the team doing well when it does well, but he is very in tune with reality. And he, he knows that even though the team won 40 games, they're a long way away. He knows that no matter what happens next year, it's, it's, it's not, you don't judge it. I don't think by how many wins you get, you don't judge it that way. When, when you're in his position, and, you know, that, back in the Patino days, they did so many short sighted moves. And, you know, they trade away Joe Johnson in year one. They trade away Chauncey Phillips right away. And it's like, what the heck are you guys doing? I'm not even sure if both of those were in the Rick Patino days, but those were just all, those years all together. It was just so short sighted. And Ainge won't do that. Ainge is looking for a championship and that's it. So, are the expectations higher outside? Yeah, absolutely. But inside, you know, Ainge, Ainge has a very realistic view of his team, and he'll know that if they don't win as many as 40 games next year, or whatever the case may be, he'll judge it, you know, as it should be judged. And and that's a, the, the best thing about Danny Ainge as the president of basketball operations, is that he does take that view, and it's not necessarily about the results, but what's going on. You know, everyone wanted him to fire Doc Rivers, if you remember. Everyone wanted him to fire Doc Rivers, and he kept him around, won a championship the very next year with Doc Rivers. And so so I think that shows you exactly who Danny Ainge is. He, He knew through all the bad years, Doc Rivers was a great coach, and he stood by him, and Doc Rivers won him a championship. And so... That that's what Danny Ainge is and he won't care about expectations, I don't think, even a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you 100 percent, wholeheartedly. I don't think that the organization is going to be worrying about fan or even worse media expectations regarding like next year. What you know, it's still a process to them. But what I do think in, in terms of these expectations certainly being raised for next season, I think it's going to help these players individually, especially guys that you know played pretty well in the postseason. I mean, I love how Jared Sullinger had his you know last great game in the game four. Marcus Smart made some plays as well. I mean, it's just sort of natural, too. I mean, you go into the summer with that type of momentum. I mean, individually, you're more motivated to improve, to get better. Am I right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I I think definitely having a taste of that. And then I think even though they lost four straight to Cleveland, a lot of those guys in that locker room came away with the feeling, we're pretty close, you know. (laughs) I didn't feel that way watching the series. I thought it seemed like every time LeBron wanted to put that game in his back pocket, he'd put it in his back pocket. But those guys in the locker room felt like we're close. We can make some small tweaks and come back and, and really be a good team next year. And so that's a confident bunch in there. I think obviously there's, there's a lot of things going on this summer. You know, the the thing that made them great was their bench. And you think about it, Crowder's a restricted free agent. goes a free agent. Um, you know, a lot of those pieces that, that did help them out so much might not be around. I, I think one thing that happened this year that wasn't good was that Solinger and Olenek kind of stalled in their development. Um, I, I think coming into this season, those two guys were the probably the two biggest bright spots in the organization as far as, you know, if, if they were going to take a next step forward, you thought it would be because solander and Olenek got better. And those, that just never happened for those guys. Obviously, solander finished out strong, but he had the injury even before that. You know, he wasn't shooting well. He seemed more out of shape than ever. I, I think this is obviously a huge, huge offseason for him. He's got to get in shape. He's got to be able to, to guard fours on the perimeter, so that they can play small and still be big. Like the Kevin Love thing with Cleveland, I was talking about earlier. If if he can play four and guard fours, and and become a a, a little bit better shooter, so that teams have to respect that three, all of a sudden that changes so much for them. I, I think those two guys should have should take bigger steps forward next year. And they need to, uh, I think for for this team to, to really maximize itself next year, because a guy like direct might not be around because a guy like Bass who, yeah, maybe he's not the best fit, but that guy was reliable every night. Uh, You know, he, he's probably not going to be around. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of things, small things that, that helped them win this year are going to change next year. And they're going to need some guys to, to switch roles, and it'll be different next year. You know, whatever happens, it won't be the same mix that allowed them to, to get so hot at the end of this year.
0: And obviously, too, there's obviously the ever possibility that they could make that transformative trade. And if they likely do, you'd have to think that a guy like Olenek and or Seliger would be that's, involved yeah, in, in, in the trade whatsoever. But you're right. I, I thought I was. that was the one disappointment this year was – uh, Linux and Solinger certainly plateaued. Remember, I th- believe Olynyk had a pretty good preseason. Solinger had a great preseason. They got off to decent starts. And then it was actually, I would say, downhill for them after there. Obviously, Solinger had his issues. I don't want to get into that again because, I mean, you know, I— Spent about 20 minutes on the show ranting about it about a month ago and, you know, got criticized for it. But, I mean, that is certainly that is going to be interesting to watch this summer. I kind of think Olenek is what he is, and I'm not too disappointed in that. I think there's just a lot of people that are just disappointed in him only because the Celtics didn't pick Giannis Antetokounmpo. But, I mean, hey, you come away with a rotational player and a horrific draft with what was it, like the 13th pick or something like that. I'm fine with that. He can be a little stretch for off the bench, has his games, doesn't have his games. It's okay. Sollinger, I know he was picked a little later in the draft, but that was only due to injury reasons. We all know he has the God-given abilities to be, yeah. I would like to say, even a borderline all-star type of player because, I mean, he has everything that he needs to have. Footwork, basketball IQ. It's really just a case of him getting a shape and him obviously you know, eating right, which he obviously doesn't if he thinks a, a, a cup of fruit is healthy. But once again, we can't get into that. People... Uh, will be getting a little ticked off at me. I definitely want to finish off this uh, conversation. I appreciate you sticking around here for so long, Jay, because we had a lot of fun talking to you. But well, obviously what stands out most in the series, I said earlier, we, we don't care about Cleveland. That's true. Cleveland is a terrible city. It's the gulag of the United States of America. But uh, we do care about the guy who plays... Okay, from- Shaughnessy. We 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 do. Hey, hey don't... No criticizing Dan <laughs> Shaughnessy on the show. He's a good friend. We do care about... The player who plays with Cleveland, that LeBron James guy. I said on last week's show, he's got a chance to be one of the three best players ever. Really the only guy who can get into that tippity-top triangle with Russell and Jordan. Those are at the top, in my opinion. Right now, he's probably like a tear or two below. He Maybe he's on that cusp with guys like Bird. I like to think he's going to pass Bird all-time for the small forward position, no matter what happens. What do you think it's going to be when it's all said and done for Le- LeBron James?
1: Uh I've had this talk. Some some people around the league think he's already at his best, better than Jordan was, because he does do other things that that Jordan didn't. I don't know if, if I go that far. I know he's the best player in my generation. I, I've I've never seen someone so in control of, of games. Even when he he's reached the point I think where he's kind of in his Jordan stage where he doesn't need to do it all the time, and he just picks the spots in the game where he's needed most. And then he goes and scores six points, gets three steals, and then all of a sudden it goes from a close game to an eight-point game, and you're wondering, like, what the hell just happened? And, man, he's good. And he's he's the best I've ever – not the best I've ever seen, but the best in my generation, I would say the best in his generation, I don't think it's even close. And he just does it year after year. And he's unbelievable, man. It's, him in, in game three, was it was just every single time they needed something, he was he did it. And, you know, Celtics take a four-point lead right at the end of the second quarter. All of a sudden, bam, he goes off, he rattles off six points in a row. Cleveland has a 12-0 run going to halftime. And all of a sudden, Boston's down eight. You know, then then Boston comes surging out in the third quarter, and he hits a, they tie the game, and he hits an and one over Crowder, and that just kind of stops the momentum right there. And it was just just like that the whole series. Every time they needed something, he, he gave it to them, or Tristan Thompson gave it to him. But but normally it was LeBron, and he he just does everything, and he, he doesn't do it all the time anymore, like he used to in his best years. But yeah, as I said, he's kind of reached the Jordan stage where it's like he just kind of conserves his energy and unleashes it when he needs it.
0: Yeah, I think he's the type of player where you have to be there and you have to be there up close to truly appreciate him because he's just so physically gifted and he's just so much faster and he's just so much stronger than his competition. You just can't really see that on television and I agree with you wholeheartedly and like I said I sort of made a disclaimer on last week's show you just don't know you didn't know how fast it'd come undone for Bird Magic got HIV and obviously those players would have been much greater than what they were all time they'd certainly have their arguments as well as the best ever but I mean no one knew what happened to them at the time same thing you never know what could happen with LeBron but I mean the way he keeps himself in physical condition I, I see him having almost like I compare to Wayne Gretzky. He had a very long career. He had all those great years, but he was in the NHL 18, 19 years. Still, was a very good player and everything. But Jay, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Uh, You know, first off, too, good luck uh, in the offseason. I know you get like a little break here to an extent. You're only going to be writing what eight articles a week until the offseason really (laughs) begins.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, offseason began yesterday. So I, I actually didn't leave my house at all yesterday. I ordered Chinese food. That was the only time I left my bed. I think was was to go pick up Chinese food from the door. Uh, so, so off season started in earnest yesterday. I think I'll get back to living real life today. Maybe go outside a little bit. Start to start to work out. Lose, lose all the 20 pounds I lost during the season. Hopefully, or I gained during the season. That was, so it's it's been fun, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: No, and Red would be very happy with you with the Chinese food and everything. But uh, I greatly appreciate. It. We're so happy we could catch up. It's been such a long time. I never wanted to bother you throughout the season, particularly how how busy it was for for the Celtics there at the end of the year, especially in March when they were playing every single day. I, I don't know how you guys did, and I certainly don't know how the team did it as well. But uh, once again, we're so that was happy. crazy. Yeah,
1: that was. I really can't cannot imagine playing basketball as often as, as they played it, and in so many different cities. It was like literally every – it was either a game or a travel day. And that was – it. they had like three practices for three months and they couldn't have possibly practiced more. That's when you think – that's why part of the run was so crazy. Isaiah
0: Thomas before the playoffs practiced like three times at the Celtics. Yeah, it was amazing. It it was crazy. I was convinced they were going to run out of gas, and they never did.
1: Yeah, that that was – I mean, that was another impressive thing. 11-1 and in the last 12 – second lines of back to bats you know the way they won their last seven road games it was like they just defied logic this team. it was like when they were supposed to lose they didn't until obviously they ran into the Cavaliers but you know all the scenarios where teams normally lose because they're tired or out of gas they just that never happened for them and they really really, really were an impressive impressive team in in effort-wise and unselfish-wise. They were fun, man. They really were.
0: Great way to finish this thing out. You can follow Jay on Twitter at ByJayKing or check out his work on MassLive.com. Jay, thank you so much for great work this season. Thank you much for joining us on Celtics Beat. And, yes, please enjoy uh, these next few weeks before you got to get back to work once again covering this very busy offseason that we all expect.
1: Indeed. Yeah, it should be fun.
0: Thanks, Jay. All right, let's get to Around the NBA in 5 this week. This week presented by Patreon to support CLNS Radio. Log on to patreon.com slash CLNS Radio. Been leading off Around the NBA in 5 with them seeming, it seems like, months on end. It's actually been just a few weeks, but we're starting again with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Considering that I've been criticizing that organization for quite a while, I predicted last week they are probably going to hire some retread head coach. Not the case. Billy Donovan from Florida, he has accepted the Oklahoma City Thunder job. Still no word yet he'll pull what he did with the Orlando Magic a few years ago when he backed out and went back to Florida. But I got to give them credit. I was completely wrong on that retread hire. That's a big move to keep a guy like Kevin Durant, and obviously keeping Kevin Durant, which would lead to keeping Russell Westbrook a few years after that. I'm very impressed. I mean, they had to spend a lot of money to be able to get that done, and they had to impress probably one of the uh, leading candidates and able to get him to coach their team. How is Billy Donovan going to fare in the NBA? Well, I can safely say that when he has Kevin Durant next year, he's going to do okay as pretty much you have to be pretty bad coach to, to screw up good players in the league, but I also don't think he's going to be going that Calipari or Rick Patino route because those guys are used to being more dictatorial, for lack of a better word. I see him more as a pragmatic guy like a Brad Stevens. I see him doing pretty well, but hey, it's all going to hinge on whether or not that the Thunder can keep Kevin Durant after next season, but the OKC did make a good and impressive move in getting a guy like Donovan as opposed to some retread higher head coach. I think that's gonna go a long way with keeping Kevin Durant. Want to talk about now the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin Love, free agent. However, Torn Labram out four to six months. Is this gonna make him more inclined to stay in Cleveland? I I said with Jay King, I think he's gonna stay with the Cavs next year anyways. I was talking about this. He'll sign a one-year contract, likely so that way he could get the big boost. In 2016, when they when the NBA gets flushed with all this television money, I don't think anyone's been talking about it. Although I did actually just, sure enough, see a report on Real GM just a few moments ago, regarding Love staying in Cleveland, with that as an option. I think no one's really been talking about it. I do think that what that's going to happen. Now let's also talk here about these upcoming series, the Bulls in Cleveland. How's that going to impact the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kevin Love for that matter? Last week on the show and the weeks leading up, all this, I've been saying that Cleveland is the foregone conclusion to win the Eastern Conference. They had more talent than anybody. Losing Love, I know he has not had the best season, but he is still a huge factor for them. If anything, keeps a guy like Tristan Thompson on the bench, but he's obviously still like an exceptional player, even in this quote-unquote down season. He's still one of the top, what, 15 to 17 players in the NBA provides a completely different dimension for them than the fact that he can stretch the floor and step out in a three-pointer and rebound. Now, I'm not so sure. I think that series is a complete coin flip for the season. I didn't think the Bulls had a chance to come out of the East. Now, I'd have to say they, they could very well be the favorite. I think the East is completely up in the air. I think Washington could win it themselves. Bulls, Cleveland, I don't know. I'm very wary on this pick. I said Cleveland was going to win the East Conference. No question about it. Now it's just sort of like, oh my goodness, I don't know. With love out, I could see the Bulls doing it. I think we'll know right away in the series. If Cleveland can steal, if, excuse me, if Chicago, for that matter, can steal one in Cleveland, where Cleveland has been very tough to beat in the second half of the season, I think that's going to be a completely different series. I'm going to gut out. I'm not going to make a prediction in this series. Pointless, but you can check it out tomorrow night on TNT. But there's a game today. Game 1, Memphis and Golden State. Does Memphis not have any shot in this series? Do they have any shot at all? And the answer to that is no. I've been saying pretty much for quite a while. Not a lot of people have been giving them credit for it because they've been the best defensive team in the NBA. Well, not the best, but one of the best defensive teams in the NBA this year. I think Golden State is pretty much the team that is absolutely going to win the NBA championship this year. I think a lot of people were just saying, oh, Golden State had a great year, but it's not like they're going to win the championship. They sort of remind me of the two thousand eight Celtics in that in that regard. A lot of people thought that because the Celtics really hadn't gone through much. I think Golden State's only won one playoff series in the past, you know, god knows, you know, past decade or whatever it is, and, or two playoff series wins in the past uh, you know twenty five years. It's ugly, and they haven't really gotten experience together going deep into a postseason. But they have been by far the best team in the NBA all season. They are one of the few teams in NBA history to finish with a double digit po- positive point differential. I think they're going to coast to the NBA Finals. I really, I really do. And I thought, you know, the, the Clippers were my pick at the beginning of the season. I don't see, I don't see that now. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, it's, I think it's going to be Golden State all the way, and then of course with Cleveland really taking a step back. I don't think any of those, and they're pretty much in the middle of the pack now in the Eastern Conference. There's really no difference between Cleveland, Washington, and uh, Chicago for that matter. I think Golden State could very well win this NBA championship a lot easier than people believe. It's, it's, it's pretty bizarre because it looks like a very tight league, but that just not is the case. I think Golden State really separated themselves this season. I guess we'll have to wait to find out but uh, that's all if we have for this show that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock Leonard Allsing Ostrevex and Steph Legrato be sure to follow us on social media our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook at facebook.com slash Celtics beat. keep up with the show also check us out on Google Plus Celtics Beat on CLNS I'd like to thank our guest Jay King Mass Live great job good to have you back on the show I thank our sponsors, Lynda.com and Audible, for making this all possible. For our staff writer Eddie Santiago and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with special guest Sean Grandy. Another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.